All right, I'm here with Brian Castle, and we are going to talk about a zip message. I've been listening to you on your podcast for years now, I think. This is one of those things where I feel like I know you, but you have no idea who I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> I've seen you around the Twitters, and and uh, well, now at least I see the bottom half of your face, so that's, that's right. That's helpful. <laughs> that's a decade-old uh, plus Twitter avatar, so I feel like I can't actually change it. It's almost a brand at this point, which is that's how I jokingly yeah. refer to it with like with friends, but. I've I been updating my uh, I've been updating my Twitter photo like once every like year and a half, two years lately, and basically because like every time I do like I'm grayer and I, I need to like keep up with the current level of, of gray hair that I'm seeing on my oh beard. Oh my god! My yeah, once I had yeah. kids, it was just like gray. My oldest is four. I have pictures of me when he was newborn, and my hair is dark. I look like young. Everything is nice, and then like four <laughs> years later, I was just like wrinkled haggard i have all this gray hair look tired yeah. stuff. <laughs> let's actually talk about something other than me complaining about my kids which is a theme so far in, in the episodes here oh i can get into um, my kids too <laughs> right okay so let's talk about zip message you have a bunch of businesses before just i happen to know from listening to other podcasts that you are on um so so let's actually start talking zip message though, because that's your newest thing. And I think it's kind of really interesting because I think, well, primarily because I don't know, is it your first real SaaS or I guess it's the one you've focused on the um, most? No, it's not the first SaaS that I've done, but it's it of all the SaaS products that are, you know, attempts, if you will. Some, some of them were more successful than others, but um, this one definitely has the most traction, the, the fastest than any of the previous previous ones that I've done, but in terms of set, I mean, you know, people sort of who have been following my, my products over the years, you know, people probably look, you know, know most of like the productized service stuff that, that I've done. Um, I had a course on that and, and I ran a productized service called audience ops for about seven years. Uh, and I sold that uh, recently. I sold a bunch of products recently. One of the products that I did sell was also a SaaS uh, called, called process kit. Uh, I worked on that for about almost three years. And I just sold that in, uh, uh, in January of 22, but then going back many years, my first real business that I like bootstrapped and then sold was called restaurant engine. And that was pretty much a SaaS. It, it had a service component, but we were, it was like a website hosting website builder for the restaurant industry. And I worked on that for about four years, Neat. but I, that was more, that was built on top of WordPress with a lot of custom code. But the, the more recent, so I would say I, I started really getting into building SaaS products um, starting in 2016, 2017. And at that point, I, um, I, I, I outsourced the backend development. I, I've always been a front-end designer, front-end developer, outsourced the backend. And the, the first of those attempts really failed. I spent a ton of money hiring these developers for like two years, got frustrated with that. And then I spent the year of 2018 learning Ruby on Rails and getting into just wanting to, to build my own app ideas from start to finish, you know, full stack. And then I, I built a few sort of practice ones, but still launched them. And then process kit was a bigger one, grew that a little bit to, to the point where I could, it, I, I kind of got frustrated with it and then I sold it. And then zip message started, um, right at the end of 2020. And, uh, that's what I'm doing now. Cool. What was that journey to learn Rails like? I think you said you did Rails, right? Yeah. I um, think I say ask that because I remember you 
trying, I think I remember you talking about trying to decide between maybe Laravel and Rails. Do I have that yes. right? Yeah. So this was early 2018. I had basically just shut down a, a SaaS product that I was working on with those outsourced developers for the past two years. And it was that product um, was built on Laravel and it used Vue.js. And I, I didn't know that at all like, like I, I knew it was built with this but i didn't know how to work with that i had to outsource it uh coming out of that i i i knew that i wanted to choose like i spent about a month sort of like exploring different uh frameworks and different languages to to really dive into and php laravel was my first uh thought was like you know i have experience with php i've seen laravel before i've worked a ton with with wordpress and custom plugins and stuff like that so tried that i, I did about a month of like courses uh on on laravel and i was able to follow the coursework but i still had a hard time building a new idea of my own based on what i learned for the past month so i then did another month of doing the same thing but with rails i i did like a you know learn rails in a month kind of course like 101 super basic and i followed that course as well but so something about the way that ruby and, and rails works it just clicked better in my mind. And, and it was easier for me to actually build a simple idea based on what I now know. And then, and then I spent the rest of the year, you know, going through many more courses and working with mentors and lots of practice projects and, and just really dedicated that whole year, like literally all of my time to learning uh, Ruby on Rails. And I, and I love it. I, I use it to this day. Um, it, it just clicks for me. It, it, I can build stuff. And I mean, I chose that, you know, it, it even in 2018, it was, no longer the the hottest coolest thing to to use rails like you know people have moved on to react and and all the all the new and vue.js and, and all, all the new stuff i did not want to do that i i wanted to stick with the worldwide like popular uh mature framework like not something that's going to come and go but also something that was fast to build stuff and easy uh, to, to design and build it and ship products. You know, I'm not trying to learn something so that I can be like a career developer at, at a company. I'm, I'm a founder. I just want to build products. And what's the most simple, fastest way to do that. I found rails to, to do that, you know? Yeah. I think as someone who's made a transition from developer to someone who tries to write code that makes myself money, like the, the mental place you put in yourself definitely changes. Yeah. Um, definitely because I remember like there's this almost a meme of developers going through their, I don't know, life cycle process of learning development where you end up learning the proper way to do things and you go way too far with that and you go overboard and then you kind of scale back and you become kind of more senior. But the transition to being a, kind of like a founder or just someone who makes stuff and makes stuff that hopefully actually makes you an income or just some kind of revenue is for me at least, yeah. it's definitely a shift in mindset or it's definitely more like get it done type code. And like, yeah, it doesn't sure. mean the code is bad. It just means like, you know, you're not going to sit there and ponder the implications of writing code like this and how that affects the team in the future or something where it's just more totally. like the future's done, get something working. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, I, I think that year of 2018 was the best career move I've, I've ever done. Just the decision to, to learn the full stack and, 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 expand my like i wasn't a new developer i i had always done front end html css my my whole career felt pretty confident with that but being able to build any idea quickly and then and then make those like business decisions 
in in the architecture of the app. So like, what's the fastest way to ship this feature, and, and still and still make it great and design it, you know, the right way for, with the future in mind and where where the product roadmap is going. I can take all those factors into how we actually design and build our our software, and that's that's so empowering. I mean. Um, and I, I work with a couple of developers now and, and I'm in the code every day still. So between me and the, like they, they have much more backend experience and I can help architect and plan how we're going to design our software. And then I do a lot of feature development on the on the easier stuff to, to just build and ship in Rails. So, right. Uh, it's a, it's a real like I'm way faster and more efficient now with shipping than, than I was earlier when I had to, you know, rely on outsourcing and maybe not make all the best architectural decisions because I didn't fully understand them back then, you know? Right. Yeah. Understanding that seems so, uh, maybe it's unintuitive. I don't know if it's unintuitive, but it seems important <laughs> for sure. Potentially, for sure. especially, you know, for a developer, a software focus. Yeah. I mean, like, like just for example, th so going back to like 2016, I was starting a, a SAS idea that, that basically failed. Um, I called it ops calendar and it was like a content calendar kind of tool. And I, I, I designed the whole front end myself. I did all the all the front end markup and code for myself, but I outsourced the, the back end. The developers chose to do to do it in Laravel and Vue.js. And I, I didn't know what that I, I had heard of Laravel. I did not. I have not heard of Vue before. I think at that point it was like version one. And they built the whole app like basically as an SPA, you know, single single page application. And I, I again, like my ignorance of, of software design at that point, like I did not really understand what that meant, but it had a huge implication for how that software ended up being designed and built. Like I designed it, but I did not d design it intending for it to be an SPA. But my developers made that technical decision without me because I did not, it, it didn't occur to me. I didn't know to think about it. Um, right. And that and that turned out to like cause lots of problems just a year and a half later when like Vue upgraded from one to two and broke everything and every single feature you know we had to rebuild the feature took forever because like they designed it as a huge SPA with all this fancy JavaScript and you know like coming out of that after I learned Rails like every you know I I tend to be like not you know, like a anti SPA kind of designer, because not everything has to be an SPA, you know, and, and like, and using these like heavy handed frameworks, like I just don't see the point until you really need it. You know, like there's a lot of function, you can do a lot of really great things using, you know, um, remote forms. And I use a lot of stimulus JS. Anyway, we're getting into the weeds here, but <laughs> no worries. I think people, people will know I'm in complete agreement and have lots of opinions about this. I don't really want to focus the whole podcast on that <laughs> cool. to go on my own rant about these saying the exact same things. One thing I one thing you said that has stayed in my mind is how Zip Message felt like it had a lot more momentum. If you heard Justin Jackson, how he talks about just getting momentum in the market yeah. you choose, like it felt like it was that kind of thing for you. Does that sound right? Like like what um, did it, yeah, I, I think I, you don't really talk numbers on the MMR if I remember right, but I'm wondering what it felt like versus yeah. other things you've done. Um, yeah, I mean, I I talked to Justin a bunch, and I've he's been really banging on that drum of like you know find a a wave and and ride it. Of course, you know that that might sound like oh you got to get lucky, but you, I don't think it's necessarily luck. I think it's I think it's being 
I think it's observing the market, observing customer behavior, observing trends, and and just being in it over over many years. You know, it took him many years to land on Transistor. It took me many years to land on ZipMessage. You know, and and at the time, I mean, ZipMessage started as like a shiny object syndrome uh, idea for me, kind of scratch my own itch. But once I once I made the once I start started to get serious about like I should actually build this and pursue it as a business. You know, I went through my whole process of like, yeah, I, I want this to exist, but is this a good business idea to do? And the, and the, the reason why I said yes to go ahead with it, one of the main ones was because I saw in the market that video messaging tools are becoming more and more popular. You know, people are obviously everyone is working remotely now, but people are really embracing remote and, and the way that they communicate remotely in a whole new level than they have in the past. So that, you know, again, like these are little factors that show like larger trends that are moving in the right direction. And this, this tool just rides right into that. And, and I think it's, you know, it's, I, w I wouldn't necessarily call it a rocket ship startup or anything, but it, it does have more traction and more people from like a wider spectrum of people, uh, use cases, indus industries, seem to resonate with it and pick it up and use it much faster than other tools that I've done in the past, you know? Cool. It is kind of a prosumer-ish type tool, I guess. Would you agree with that? I think for some users it is. Like there are there are some freelancers and, and stuff who who sort of use it, but there are definitely companies who use it uh, quite mm. a bit as well as, as a business communications tool. So a lot of teams who are remote, they use it to, to have entire meetings, conversation, like that's the whole thing with ZipMessage is that it's, it really replaces a lot of meetings, a lot of Zoom calls. Instead of getting people together on a live call, send the same video message to them. They can, the difference with ZipMessage is that you, they can actually reply back to you on, on a, a single threaded conversation. And the other th thing about it is that you can send it to anyone. You can send it to a customer or a client or somebody that you might hire and they don't need to download or install or anything. They can just click your link and hit hit record and record a response, video, screen, audio only, text attachments, and just go back and forth on on a conversational page. Like that's that's what has really resonated with people because there there are other video recording like video messaging tools. I mean, Loom is is the big one that that everyone knows, but like that's a one directional, single message, single URL that you're going to send to someone. Zip message lets you do that, but then you can actually continue the conversation and, you know, in many cases, actually replace a meeting, replace a calendar booking, you know. Right. And thank you for actually explaining what it is, because I realized I did a terrible job and did not <laughs> have you do that. <laughs> um, pricing. I have very selfish reasons for asking about how, just doing my own stuff also, about how you decided to price Zip message. So today, ZipMessage uses uh, a freemium model. Um, so we have a free plan that anyone can use for as long as they want. It has some limitations, but you can record unlimited messages. You can uh, you can share it with unlimited people, unlimited guests, and and have those conversations. As you know, uh, but then we have a, a basic tier, and then we have a premium tier, and um, and you know we don't. Uh, limit the total number of 
of recording minutes or anything like that. You, you always have unlimited there. The free plan that just the each recording can only be one minute long, but once you upgrade to the paid plans, you, you lift that limit. The other thing that we, 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 we give you a bunch of things in the, in the paid plan. So like you can customize or personalize your, your link. So if I, so mine, like if anybody wants to send me an, a, a, a video message, you can do that at zipmessage.com slash Brian. You know, you can get your own name, your own brand name, um, and, and a bunch of other things that are, you know, uh, but that, that's, that's how it works now. Started that freemium model in October or November of, of 2021. Before that, for like the first, um, seven or eight months of, of zip message, it was uh, more traditional, like 14 day free trial. But then I introduced, did you see a difference plan. when you made that change? Uh, I did. I, I was a little nervous about it. I, I usually don't default to, to a freemium play, but for this type of product, I thought it made a lot of sense. You know, it has grown definitely since then. I mean, freemium, I think helped, but there, there were other factors. I did a product hunt launch and, and other publicity stuff that, that helped it grow. But definitely I, I, what I was a little surprised by and pleasantly surprised was people still upgrade pretty quickly after starting on the free plan. I was, I thought that going with freemium, they would stick on the free plan for a long time before upgrading, but there's multiple triggers that would cause somebody to upgrade and people go for it, you know, every single day. So, yeah, that's actually something I'm doing with my own app where I want to change prices, where it has a lower, it has a free tier already. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to make a lower tier and then, have a bunch of trip wires they could hit to to upgrade so that part resonates because that's that's kind of like what i'm playing and doing like um yeah. did you think about that ahead of time or do they just kind of come naturally the, the trip wire points so you think they would cause them to upgrade like did you put a lot of thought into that or was that kind of like um, something that yeah, came i out gave some thought into it i some some things were like obvious i thought uh, I, I gave a bit of thought about the the limit on recording um for free users and uh, at least for now, I, I've started it off at, at probably the most aggressive that we would do, which is limited to one minute. Most people don't seem to have an issue with that. Some people do upgrade to to get a longer, you know, length of, of time. But there's other, I mean, the other the other thing that people upgrade for is if you are going to invite team members to, if, you, if you're a team and, they're, and your team members are going to like manage conversations with you in your company's account, you know, they'll, they'll go to the premium tier for that. Um, uh, yeah, a couple other benefits. Too. And the other thing that we limit ba is um, based on message history. So in the free plan, your messages stick around for 30 days. In the basic plan, they stick around for 90 days. And then uh, premium, they, they stick around unlimited uh, history. So, Okay, this is sort of a technical question, but... Do you have a lot of costs in terms of like bandwidth and saving videos and that kind of thing? Yeah, that that also played into uh, how you know thinking about pricing and and what we what we should give away on on the free plan because we we do have real costs on video storage, video transcoding, um, and some video processing. We also do things like um, we offer uh, automatic transcriptions of of videos of what you say on the videos is transcribed. That's only on the paid plan because that, that also adds to our cost. But it's kind of cool because we, you know, you can search all of your conversations, all of your messages, and you can search for things that were said because we transcribe them and, and we can search the, the transcripts and everything. 
we we do a lot of work to like track usage and and uh calculate you know average cost per account and everything and um still still profitable <laughs> right now. yeah i was wondering how um scary that was i know bandwidth especially can be kind of scary depending on where you're hosting it and what tactics you use to like cache videos if you have that available to you and that kind of thing yeah we we have done a lot of work with you know on the technical side uh what what happens sort of like under the hood uh with zip message to not only optimize like storage but just to op just to make it a fast experience for for you know so we'll we we've built custom stuff around like as you record a 10 minute video we're we're uploading in the background while while you're still recording so that it's fast when you, when you finish up and stuff like that one second this is the part about podcasting where i i want to actually just have a totally natural conversation but then yeah. i actually have to think about other stuff too <laughs> i i know it yeah it's interviewing is, is a lot harder than people realize yeah you know yeah i really like my favorite podcasts are people just kind of just talking just totally interview style really yeah me too maybe i'll find a co-host someday but i still like this kind of like learning about everyone's yeah i mean um, i business. i was saying i i am starting up a new podcast right now it should be launching pretty soon uh and it's pretty much like this it's like conversations with folks and one of the things that i'm nervous about with it is is that like I don't want to, I don't want to get burnt out on, on interviewing, you know, a hundred different guests in, in a year. So I'll probably just end up interviewing the same people, like a, like a rotation of 10 to 15. I had the exact same idea, you mm -hmm. know, friends to just come back on. And, and the, and I just want to talk about different topics with different people, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's plenty to, to talk about. <laughs> you know. How did you and Jordan start your podcast? How'd you guys meet? Yeah, that, that's sort of a funny story. We met a few years before we started the podcast. Um, we were in a mastermind group together, but the way that that came about was uh, Andrew Warner on Mixergy put like, this was, this must've been back in 20, I don't know, 2013, something like that. Um, maybe 2012 is when we started that, that group. He, Andrew Warner did this like mix, this like mastermind matching Thing as like an experiment and Jordan and I both submitted our, our names and we got matched up in, into a group together. We were in this mastermind for like two, two and a half years. And the funny thing is that like it, we, we joined up and I just met Jordan for the first time through this mastermind group. Turns out he and I live in neighboring towns in Connecticut. So like the next week we, we, we met up for coffee and, and it's like total, like we met through Mixergy on the internet and we end up living five minutes away from each other. And it turns out that Jordan and I both grew up in Long Island, New York, in towns that are like 10 minutes away from each other. We, we didn't know each other back then, but like, and then somehow we end up on, on a podcast together. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when That's really adults. funny. I had no idea you guys live so close together. Yeah. I should mention your podcast is Bootstrapped Web, right? Yep. Yep. I keep trying to say bootstrapped.fm, but that is a different podcast. That's a different one. I don't, yep. <laughs> right. I don't think Ian records that anymore. No, but he, um, he, um, he gave it over, um, Oh man, now I'm blanking. Yeah, name. that's right. And, and I was just on on the show uh, last week, which I I thought that was really cool of, of Ian and, and Andrew when they um when they 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 handed it over to like keep the the podcast alive even even when they were done doing it. So right, that was one of my favorite people just just talking podcasts. Mm -hmm. In addition to um, do you remember? Do you ever listen to Bootstrap with Kids? Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm good friends with both those guys, Brecht and and Scott today. I thought I remember them actually talking about you in some podcast episodes. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a, a group of, of us. We get together and go skiing and snowboarding um, 
uh, every year. I do one in Vermont and one in uh, in Colorado, and Breck cool. goes out to that. Yeah, right. Okay, I had a note to ask you about uh, what you're doing for marketing on Zip Message. Do I remember right? You might hire for marketing. I'm wondering kind of how you're thinking about that. Ooh, yeah, this is hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have hired. I've I've had a hard time, frankly, hiring people to help with marketing. And I've been trying to hire for that over the past year. My first thought was I, I wanted to hire like a, a general marketing person to help with all things marketing. They would probably start on like a part-time retainer and grow into uh, maybe a full-time role, be one of the early key employees. Like that was my vision for, for this role, you know, cause I want to be on product most of the time. And I, I like talking to customers, but there's a lot of marketing work, um, whether it's, coming up with campaign experiments and tracking the numbers and, and, um, you know, keeping track of, of SEO and running experiments and, and doing all this stuff. I wanted somebody to sort of like drive that, that train. And I ended up finding that there, there are many, there are many people who are pretty good writers or they're really great at PPC or, or they have some strength and they have a, a, they've dabbled in, in all the other marketing things, but you know, it, it's hard to find a generalist and I should have learned that sooner. Um, and, um, and it's so almost now like co-founder, like the generalist yeah, yeah, marketer, right? It, that's, that's the, the tough thing about it when you're talking about marketing, because for somebody to really have like the strategic vision and the positioning, they've got to be really invested in in the product and at, at that point especially for a very young startup like it i think it's got to be like a founder level sort of thing and so that's that's sort of where i am today um i've i've basically taken over that role of like head marketing strategist but i do hire people who are specialists in what they do so you know i i've developed a bit of content i'm going to be doing more i've, I've hired uh, a writer to to help develop articles and, and she's a fantastic you know writer Right now, I'm sort of looking for somebody to help on the SEO side. Like I've dabbled in these things before, uh, but it's not a part of the, the the business that I enjoy doing very much. Um, but you know, I'm I'm actually looking for like a SEO, uh, like a technical SEO specialist to help with keyword research and and um, and you know, content uh, roadmaps and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but then, you know, then I'm, I'm now looking at other things like sponsorships, you know, maybe podcast and newsletter sponsorships, but then, then there's things that I'm doing on the product side that, you know, cause zip message, again, it's a freemium model. So, so it's what they call like product led growth, right? Like we do see people sign up, share a zip message, and then that person signs up and they, they share a zip message. So I do a lot of work in the product to, to make that a really smooth process to like onboard and then share and, and, you know, um, work on that viral loop. And then the other thing that I'm getting into now is integrations. Uh, so I'm talking to other, other products, um, where it makes sense for video messaging to be synced up or embedded or connected in some way. And there's a lot of tools that our customers do use, uh, in conjunction with zip message. So, you know, I'm starting to, uh, actually work with some products right now and develop more integration partnerships. Do you see is that like a lot of support type companies? That's the first use case that comes to mind for me. Like yeah, customer um, support. Help desks 
uh, apps are are one, and, and we're working on on some integrations there. And then there's a number of other categories. So another big one are like membership platforms. Uh, we get a lot of like coaches and course creators who use ZipMessage to communicate with their students. Um, so so connecting, you know, like private or semi-private group conversations or one-on-one -on -one conversations with their member portal and things like that. We get podcasters who who are using ZipMessage for a few different things. Like one is as like a listener inbox to send messages. Another, people are actually using ZipMessage to record podcast content asynchronously, which is really interesting. And I'm doing some of that on, on my new podcast as well. Um, uh, CMSs, so, so you can embed ZipMessage on any website. We give you like an iframe embed code. So that works today, but you know, we'll, we'll probably come out with like a WordPress plugin to make that easier, maybe like a Webflow integration and, and stuff like that. And then the other one is, is actually calendar bookings. Like ZipMessage is sort of like the opposite of calendar bookings because it's like you can either get on a live call or you can do the call asynchronous by sharing your ZipMessage link. Um, but what I found is ZipMessage is great for like that follow-up conversation that happens after. So let's say you're, you're interviewing a freelancer to maybe hire them for something. 10 or 15 minute Zoom call to, to meet and greet and see if there's like a, if you gel with your personality and if they're a good fit. And then you're gonna have like 20 follow-up questions where you really dig in to, to what, you're, what you might work on together. And that's, that's where it's perfect to, do, to use ZipMessage to go asynchronously. I mean, they can share their screen, they can show what they've worked on, they can answer your questions. They can be, I, I've done this with people living in like Australia, you know, totally different time zone. Um, but we can have full like face-to-face -face conversations that just last three or four days instead of both of us having to get on at some crazy hour. Right. Yeah. I've had that experience with um, doing customer support for Australian customers. <laughs> Always interesting. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Neat. I wanted to circle back on the marketing thing. It sounded like a lot of it, and I imagine kind of based on your history, a lot of your ideas are that are based on content marketing, but I don't know if that's kind of what you're focused on before. I mean, obviously you have the built-in stuff, like the viral component to the application and all that stuff is marketing, but... I don't yeah, know what I, you were thinking about for tactics. We um, we just sort of just began really investing in content for ZipMessage. Like we just came out with a, a, a new guide all about how to combat Zoom fatigue, which is a real thing. So we did a really great guide on, on that, uh, which obviously makes sense for, for ZipMessage because we're, we're the solution to Zoom fatigue. Use ZipMessage. So we're going to come out with more guides like, like that, but probably not going to do like tons and tons of of content I, I think it's better to to do a few very high quality guides and and really position them well i mean also just working on our website itself with like highlighting key use cases and case studies and comparisons of us versus alternatives and things like that so just trying to develop a lot of that that kind of stuff so right now is that a lot of freelance work to get marketing stuff done or or what are you doing is it all you? yeah it's um it's like a combination of me working on the strategy and the direction and then hiring a freelancer. Like if I'm going to do a, like if we're going to do a big article, the, the zoom fatigue guide was, was written by a, a writer, Claire Emerson. Uh, she's really great. And, but I, I give a lot of input in terms of the direction and re, at, you know, reviewing it and making sure the positioning is right and, and all that. Um, and, uh, 
Yeah. And and then, I mean, I am doing this other podcast, like I mentioned, it's, it's sort of my personal thing where I just get to talk to other people I, I want to have conversations with. Um, but it is going to have like a zip message ad, you know, tacked onto right. it. it. Makes um, sense. So there's that too. <laughs> right. Cool. I guess you have a lot of experience with freelancer stuff too, much more than I do for, I mean, I've been mostly just like working at a job, but I also have my side stuff, which has been courses mostly. And then also this new SAS I have, um, well, it's not that new, but I'm working on it more now than before. So the first person I've ever actually really hired to help, it's a uh, freelance. And it's actually been really nice mm -hmm. to help with the development, which is normally what I would do being a developer. But I actually really found it totally useful to have someone to do that part for me, especially because I have to spend most of my time at the during the day working at a job. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love what you're doing there because I I came up as a freelancer for, for most of my self-employed career. And for the early those early years, I was freelancing and trying to build a product like when I was doing Restaurant Engine. That that was the business where I transitioned out of freelancing into running my own SaaS. But the um, that was really difficult because I had to like market myself as a freelancer to pay the bills. Mm, and I right. always sort of look back on that like I wish I sort of had a job. Back then there, there were a lot fewer remote jobs than there are today. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways it would have been easier if I had a full-time job that I was giving my nine to five to, and then I can like reinvest all of the profits from the startup into the startup. And even right. if it's just running nights and weekends, you know? Yeah. My setup is interesting like that. So I work at userscape. So I actually work with Ian. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I've worked there for eight years. It's been a while. There's a trade-off there is that we, I don't know, it's not expected we all have side projects, but it's encouraged and fine. Ian doesn't try to own any of our IP or anything like that. So yeah, it's actually kind of a great setup, which is why I've worked there for so long too. And then I also like do have always done courses and that kind of still supplements income a bit. And then the current thing I have, Chipper CI, it's a continuous integration app for Laravel developers. And that is also making some money, not a lot, but enough to like kind of supplement income a bit, but mostly I just reinvest it because I can, which has mm -hmm. been kind of helpful. So I've hired this person. They're really great. They're on the expensive end, but I also have almost had to do zero kind of management of, of what they're doing because their work mm -hmm. has just been so good. That's and awesome. I think I got lucky with that because I've always been really afraid of like how to manage people <laughs> effectively. I haven't, yeah, I I've, sort of have done a little bit of that in my past, but not, not enough to really say I'm good at it. I've done a lot of hiring uh, and a lot of hiring freelancers. I, I've literally been doing it since 2008. I became a freelancer in 2008. I, I left uh, an agency and pretty quickly, like within a year, I started outsourcing parts of my freelance projects to other freelancers and and for a while, I was, that's how I built up my business is I, I would get like larger and larger projects and then take on more of them and, and assemble little teams of, of freelancers, designers, developers, and then kind of fast forward to audience ops that grew to, at, by the time I sold that business, it, it was a team of 25, basically all freelancers, but, but they were all like daily part-time contractors. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, and I just sold that business a few months ago and now it's like back to a much smaller operation, which feels good for me. So it's, it's basically me plus now I have two developers, um, and they're in India. Um, 
uh, and plus a few of these marketing freelancers uh, mm-hmm. in different places. Is that Indian setup working well? Do I remember you right? There's like some contacts in the U.S. you kind of interface with, and then they manage the people um, in India. No, they're or, not, or do you talk to them directly in India? Um, right. Uh, they're, they're really, they're actually an agency and then, um, they assign, uh, now I have two people over there and they're, they're really great. You know, uh, at, for the most part, they're working when I'm sleeping, but then I, I arranged with them to shift their hours by like two or three hours so that we have a bit of overlap, uh, when I wake up. Um, and, um, and that's worked out perfect. So do you like that cycle? I feel like that kind of works out where you can kind of give feedback during your work hours and then it's done overnight and then you come back. I mean, obviously there's a delay, but I don't know if if that's mattered enough. No, it's it's perfect. It's it's perfect. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have a good like three hours in, in my working morning to, um, to, to either do like, see, get them live on, on Slack and we can hammer out any final changes before they end their day. Um, but yeah, then later in the day I'll be preparing stuff for for what they're going to work on tonight yeah i mean usually we have longer longer term stuff that that they're spending a week or more on but like but but yeah i, I get updates from them when i wake up and, and I, that's usually the first thing that i that i work through in the morning yeah how do you communicate effectively with them like have you found you had to do change how you communicate there because i guess it's mostly written uh it's mostly written they're they're really excellent with uh written english and we communicate almost exclusively through GitHub issues, like really, really detailed written GitHub issues and GitHub uh, comments. And then we also have Slack and we, we chat in there. Mm-hmm. And then we, we will use ZipMessage to show things like, here's, here's this bug that I'm seeing, here's, and we'll, we'll use that to, to send videos back and forth. Don't do a lot. I, I do almost no live calls with them. I know other people like to do like stand-up calls and status updates and stuff like that. I've I've always been very very minimal on live meetings. I just I don't like to be on many meetings and I don't find them very productive. And and also like I I don't like it when key information is siloed in live meetings. Again, this is like a big reason why I built ZipMessage is, is because like you, you can be on like an hour long Zoom call with a client or, or, or your coworker and you're hammering out some some work together, some key creative decisions together. But if that was discussed on a Zoom call, it's you're not gonna, you have nothing to refer back to. Even if you, rec- even if you recorded the, the thing, like what are you gonna do? Like scrub through an hour long recording to find the detail that, that somebody said i mean that's that's how details get missed or forgotten right so i really like having what we discussed and the decisions we came to all written and logged in a thread in a github issue or if if it's with a marketing person we have it usually with them i'm, I'm communicating on zip messages so we'll have like 20 or 30 back and forth on on video on audio messages you can point right back to the to the message where you have the key piece of information you know mm-hmm. yeah that and the transcription seems pretty neat because i was just yeah. thinking my own experience where kind of working at a place i was meeting heavy it was like if you weren't invited to the meeting then you missed out on information if you're invited in every meeting you don't get any work done because you're in meetings exactly. all day but you have yeah. all the information but can't act on it exactly exactly and the other and the thing that i um really have i've see this every single time i have a zip message conversation a- asynchronously and like the benefit of asynchronous is not just time zones or work hours. Yes, 
you have more flexibility flexibility there. Yes, you, you get more time to actually do your work, but you actually end up contributing better responses in the, the conversation, right? Like if I'm going back and forth with someone on a video back and forth, I have time to digest what they said. I have time to think about what I'm going to, like just, just earlier this morning, I had a pretty, uh, pretty in-depth conversation with a customer on ZipMessage giving feedback about our, our product. And, and we've gone back and forth like 30 times now. And I came back to him with like a 15 minute video or it was like a 10 minute response, but I recorded it like twice. I, I, I recorded it once and I was like, you know what? I could say that a little bit better. I could prepare my notes a little bit better. And then I got back to him with, with a much tighter response. And when we do that both ways, we end up having a much more productive conversation because we're pushing the ball forward, you know, with, with better responses. Mm -hmm. That actually makes me want to try it out to get customer feedback on my own thing too. start with like my own video and just say, Hey, respond here. Yeah. Um, which yep. very much ties into my fear of actually talking to customers <laughs> <laughs> like a live one-on-one, -on -one, like a Slack call or something. Yeah. Um, it's best to get over that fear. <laughs> right. I was just going to say, um, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I've gotten, I've gotten lazy with it at, at times. Like at, at, sometimes I just get so buried in the product that I feel like too disconnected from, from customers. But in the very earliest days of, of the business, like I am hungry for more and more feedback and conversations. Mm -hmm. Like that's what keeps me going because it's like, it's like, um, you know, I, I, I just need to know what their experience is with other tools, with this tool, where, what they're trying to do. And then that's usually what, what makes me go back and design the next feature to, to solve that. What's your preferred way to facilitate that right now? Like, how do you kind of, because I, do you cold email people or I guess it's not cold because they're your customers and they know kind of who you are or how does that the, work? With zip message is really easy. It, it, zip message is definitely my preferred way of communicating with customers because again, it's, you get this high quality level of feedback where they, they've taken time to prepare their, their notes and then they actually record it on video for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then we go back and forth many times. Uh, do you think there's a higher bar of, of that? Does that make it harder to get people to actually respond to you? Cause it's kind of hard to get people on a call or to get people to record themselves if they're not comfortable with it. It's well, I, I think it's actually less of a bar, lower bar because I'm not asking them to book a, a call on our calendars. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's less of, of an ask there. I mean, in, in my case, we're communicating on zip message about zip message. So that, that makes it a little bit easier. Kind um, of a self-selecting <laughs> yeah, customers. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, but I know that, you know, plenty of agencies are using it to communicate with clients and they're finding it a, a you know, a, a really great way to like avoid all these like client calls where again, it's really helpful to get like feedback from your client on, on a design that you've delivered and go back and forth asynchronously and have that, have those recordings to like refer back to, you know? Mm-hmm. Neat. I'm going to give this a try. Might have to try that with zip message. Record a message. Sweet. Yeah, please do. See what people are doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. I'm going to do a thing. And I might end up asking you questions about my thing, my business. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was actually just going to, I was going to start to turn the tables on you. Cool. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. So what are you doing right now for hosting? And do you do any kind of like automated testing and that kind of thing? Yes. Well, we don't have an automated CI tool. 
So we, we might be in the market for that soon. Right. The, um, but we do have extensive test coverage in, in our code base. Uh, so we're, we're hosted on, on Heroku and, uh, and we use our spec and have ex right. extensive. And I think Heroku has a thing to run tests before it deploys. I'm not really sure. I haven't used it in um, a while, but it, a previous SAS, the one that I sold recently, uh, process kit was also on Heroku, also Ruby on rails. And we used GitHub's act. I think they call it actions. Yep. Um, we used that for the automated testing, um, but we have not set that up yet on zip message, but I think we will at some point pretty soon. Cause we, we already have several hundred, like many hundreds of, of tests written. Right. Um, so it's, it's uh, we, we, we cover everything. So I partially want to ask like a mob test type questions. So I've I'm not going to be, I'm not prepared <laughs> enough for that, but like I, Paying for chipper, paying for CI apps, like some people do it and some people avoid it, I think, like stay in, because a lot of them have free tiers, right? So GitHub Actions and then Bitbucket has their own thing. GitLab has their own thing. And then there's other applications that are separate from where your actual code lives, um, right? So mm -hmm. Travis CI, Circle CI, Chipper CI for Laravel developers. I don't know how people feel about pricing with these because a lot of them price based on build minutes. You know what I mean? Like how many minutes you take, like, like even GitHub does this, although their free tier is pretty generous and circle CI does a thing where it's a credit system. So if you have a larger server, you eat away more credits kind of quickly. Hmm. I'm redoing pricing for chipper, but I'm leaning towards still kind of a more traditional tiered type thing. Cause I think that's just kind of a, that might be more of a Laravel friendly thing. Cause that ecosystem is sometimes hmm. feels to me like, like that might just work better for people versus like the unknown of a, of a pay per use, kind of like an AWS thing where you're not necessarily exactly sure what your bill is going to be, but you, you know, you have an idea. I yeah, don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm only just a couple of years into full stack development and even knowing what automated tests are. <laughs> um, so, uh, but of course now I am like obsessed with testing, like every single feature we do, we're, we're writing tests. Um, right. It, it has made such an improvement in um, reducing bugs and not having to rebuild features and stuff like that. But yeah, in terms of tools, I mean, we do readily pay for, for dev tools in general, like Heroku and, and a bunch of, you know, add-ons within Heroku. Um, uh, you know, we, we also use um, AppSignal for like error uh, monitoring and stuff like that. You know, we you know how much those all are per month? Roughly, uh, I think App Signal. We're I think we're on the, the like the fifty a month tier or something like that. Mm. Um, what else do we have? I mean, we pay for a ton of AWS stuff too. Right, um, of course, <laughs> the video stuff. I assume. Yeah, um, I'm just thinking about like other random tools that we have in there. Um, right now, Chipper is free, freemium, because um, which yeah. was the decision I made a while ago because uh, most CI apps are just freemium, and I. Th think that makes sense for this type of app also because you kind of get your developers to use it yeah i mean i like, like that it, the, that your app it. is is in the pipeline um you know because that like once people adopt it they're not they're not going to change unless there's a really strong reason to, to change if it's you know um, right i think i think the fact that we're on github and the and the fact that they have github actions that that would make it difficult for, for me to decide to use something other than GitHub Actions. Right. Um, unless there's a really compelling reason to do that. 
Um, maybe yeah. there is, and I don't. I'm not familiar with it. But um, well, I mean, GitHub I, I haven't really, really looked into it. But yeah, <laughs> they're definitely neat. I think of the com compelling case for Chipper or the people who decide to pay for it are like that. It's really pre-configured for Laravel, so you don't have to care about setting up the mm. stuff that makes it work. You just kind of like throw it up there and you run your tests. That doesn't mean it's perfect. You still have to figure out your, like your environment variables. And if you're testing against a database, like setting that up, um, although we try to make that as easy as possible and mostly do. So I think that is kind of the compelling case to use it. But I wonder if that's just like a small segment of people who are interested in that versus people, especially developers who kind of like more complicated things. They like figure yeah. out complicated stuff. You know, I, well, I, I sort of suspect that's a thing. My, I would wonder about um, in terms of the, the business, like, I don't know that guys like me are going to be a, a good target customer because I mean, we, we ended up taking a little bit of funding, but I still operate like a, like a bootstrapper, you know, um, if there's a good enough tool that's free, like I need a good reason to start paying for, for something else. But where I think it could make sense is if, is if you target agencies who, who have who like development agencies, right. Who are developing apps and maybe even maintaining apps for several clients so like their first one app is free but if you need multiple apps for multiple clients um, with notifications and alerts to your clients and stuff like that you know that's uh that seems worth yeah. paying for especially really if, you're, if it's bait you know i i like the idea of selling to clients and selling to agencies because usually they justify the tools that they that they buy based on pairing it with revenue right like you know like an audience ops we had stuff that like i i spent a lot per client but it it was tied to the revenue that each client is sending us so i didn't it didn't feel like a cost of doing business right yeah, yeah that's interesting right now my plan is to do a cheaper tier so right now it's zero or 49 bucks a month or sorry 39 bucks a month how do you get cheaper than and you zero? can get you, there's you some expansion revenue <laughs> what's that how do you get cheaper than than zero? Like you pay people to use it. <laughs> it's like there's no real viral element. Well, there is actually some parts I could do for that. Um, like if you support open source, you can get your your mm. little logo and stuff in on people's projects. So I guess in that element, like the free tier helps there. Mm -hmm. But it is it's not as much as like a zip message where people are just sending it out and the zip message branding is like you know and what everyone sees when they're when they're making mm -hmm. a message, receiving a message, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so like the free doesn't really give you the benefit. Like the the only reason I went freemium was because it's a marketing play, really. It's like I want people using it and sharing it so that it exposes it to more people and, and freemium was the best way to do that. So I guess you don't really have the benefit of, of, of like the viral aspect, but you're in a competitive market where there are free tools. So you sort of have to offer some some kind of free option. Yeah, that's why I started with that. Yep. Yeah. The the pricing I want to do is a cheaper tier, and I've named it like a solo tier, the solo developer type thing. Mm -hmm. And then a team tier, which is kind of like the thing where I spend, I think a lot of people will be. It's like it's going to go up from 39 bucks a month. And then I have some other bigger tiers, like you can grow into uh, different tiers. And like finally, I actually have an unlimited tier, which is a bunch more expensive. So I'm curious to see if anyone goes into there. But what that's kind of my the, plan um, right now. Like, what's the value metric? What What is. What's the difference between the tiers? So this is interesting. And it also gets into some annoying things about competing with the free ones. I have landed on 
well, okay. So I'll tell you how I broke it down. I'll start with this. The thing that I that other CI apps seem to care and value what they're charging on is like build minutes, uh, how long you run builds and how big the mm. server is that you're using, which kind of in my head aligns well with the value you're getting. Cause anytime you push up code to Git, you know, it kicks off a job and it runs for a certain amount of minutes and it's faster or slower depending on if there's more resources and that kind of thing. Yeah. That pricing is annoying to me. I don't know if other developers got to like it, but, um, but I do see the appeal of it because it aligns both with your cost center, especially with the infrastructure heavy thing. Like a continuous is it, is it annoying because it's like you, as a customer, it's a little unpredictable. What it's gonna yeah. Cost I've never said anyone, never met anyone who like, I don't, I think in reality people don't mind it too much, but like, yeah, but I, I think in the case of hesitancy. CI, like my, my limited experience with it is like the, 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 the duration of time it takes to run the whole test suite is pretty consistent. I mean, it slowly grows over the, over time as the mm -hmm. as the test suite grows, but it's not like on Tuesday it took thirty minutes and on Thursday it took ninety six minutes. Like, right? It, you wouldn't see that kind of, you know, um, you know, it, it wouldn't jump around on you. So in that in that sense, it's like it, it's just like for the next few months we're probably on the hundred minute tier, and then right. we might we might inch up into the next tier after that, but it's not going to be like sudden. Yeah. And it depends who their customers are. Cause a lot of their plans are like, you start with 3000 minutes and then you buy chunks of 25,000 minutes at a time, wow. <laughs> depending on, yeah. on that's like a, uh, circle CI is like that. What I've landed on is having a small or shrinking the free tier a bit. So it used to be, and this is me copying other apps when the app was first made, when chipper was first created, you used to get unlimited builds. Um, sorry, not unlimited builds. You started with limited builds until you got into a paid tier. Then it wasn't limited. Um, and limited projects, unlimited team members. And I'm changing all of that. That's the main ones and some other stuff too. Uh, like server size goes up as you get a higher tier also. So the free tier, I think, will just have a very small number of private projects you can use, like pro pro projects within GitHub that are private, not public GitHub projects. Mm -hmm. And then that number goes up as you go up tiers. So the solo tier just has, you know, also kind of a few the team tier goes up a bunch the other tiers go up a lot so the main thing there is project limiting and then also the number of builds per month so instead of doing a build minute thing where there's a usage base it's just a number of builds mm -hmm. people are using per month and i actually have you know i have a few years of data of how many builds people actually do per month so i can base that off of yeah i was to gonna say like are you able to see i mean like what do the best paying customers look like right like how many builds, how, how many mm. minutes, and, and also so, what types of businesses are they? What, what are they doing, right? One is almost definitely a agency because they have like 128 projects and then the next highest team has 28 projects. So mm -hmm. like this one customer is doing something like, <laughs> like the agency yeah. thing. They don't have 128 um, of their own products. Right? I don't think so based on yeah. what they, I can, I can look in and see the names of their repost and they all look fairly different. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is some have a lot of projects and actually do run a lot of builds per month, but only some of those are, are doing the thing where you pay extra to get more concurrent builds. So otherwise you're waiting, you do one build at a time by default. So yeah. if you have four projects and four developers code up, push up code to four projects, you're waiting for each one of those. So one at a time mm -hmm. you can pay for extra concurrency. So you get concurrent builds. So they happen at the same time. So some companies do that and some 
but a lot of them don't and just kind of like wait. Yeah. Which is an interesting aspect of that, you know, and some people are deploying fear and some people are just running tests and getting results. So it's interesting to see who, who uses continuous integration to actually deploy from that pipeline versus just see if mm. like tests are run and that kind of thing. The yeah. I mean, it definitely makes sense to have all, all that stuff in paid tiers, right? Like concurrency, multiple, multiple builds, multiple projects, um, you know, I'm interested to see, I have to dig into the, what type of cuss of, uh, of companies they are too. I haven't done enough of that. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I, I can when see... I talk to c customers, especially early on, like when, when I'm just researching a, a potential new product, I really like to ask things like, tell me about the current CI tool you, you currently use. How much do you pay for it? Um, we, you know, what were the factors in deciding on, on that? And like, I, I look for like evidence of, you know, like the, the mom test stuff, right? Like, like evidence that you have, that you're actively paying for it or you have paid for it. Um, not like, would you pay for this idea right. sometime in the future kind of thing. For sure. That makes sense. And I mean, the things that I can see are like, if you have invited team members, if you have notification channels. So like if you actually are getting notified, if a build fails, right. If you have a build step that has the word deploy. That was something in it, we did when I had the CI running through GitHub actions, we, we did use Zapier to put it, to, to pipe it into Slack to tell us, like, mm. yep, it all ran or, or it failed. Um, so that That's was useful for us, you know? Right. That's interesting. I'm surprised. And, and I hasn't... paid for Slack. I mean, I paid for not, not Slack. We, we had free Slack, but, uh, paid for Zapier, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. That makes sense because the notification part is important. You have to know kind of what happened. Otherwise you're checking your email for GitHub action emails, which is, yep. I don't know, you know, email is not a great medium for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. I got to figure out what kind of things the companies are doing. Like some of the companies I know of just from being in the Laravel community, but a lot of them and most of them who are paying, I, I haven't heard of before. Yeah, for sure. So Chipper has an interesting thing where it grew up to a few thousands of MRR kind of quickly when we launched in 2019. And then um, me and my uh, my friend who I started it with, David, um, both me and him both started working less on it just because we had stuff coming up. Like I had a kid soon after the second kid soon after it launched, and <laughs> he had um, he was making more money doing um, other stuff. Like he co-built Laravel Nova, which is like a one of the first party admin panel things for Laravel. So we kind of let it just slide, and then it just the revenue grew a little bit, but like the churn was low, which is really nice. So we didn't lose revenue really, but it just kind of floated for like a year. So um, mm. I bought out his half of it. So this year, I, as of this year, oh. like January 1st, I own all of it. So now I have oh, nice. a great interest in, thanks, and um, in doing more with it. So I'm trying to grow it. It's yeah. grown a little yeah, bit sure. since I've been doing more, like tweeting, emailing, adding features and that kind of thing. Well, I mean, it's, no, a, great, it's a great foundation to build. I, I think that the, the thing with developers as a market, and I, I don't sell, I, a lot of my customers probably are developers, but it's not like I'm selling exclusively to developers. Um, but from what I can tell, the my, my friends who have developer-centric products, you know, I look I look at like Adam Wathen, you know, Ben Orenstein, you know, who built Tuple and Adam with, with Tailwind. Um, yeah, marketing is so hard because it's, I, I feel like marketing is easy and hard for when you're, targeting developers, right? Like you can't do most of the typical like marketing tactics because developers hate marketing. 
but the the nice thing about going to developers is that like there's a ton of them there's there's it's a always growing market and and like i think it, you can do just cool fun things like you're, you're doing courses right like that's you know you're you're teaching developers so i mean that's another thing like like um you know chris oliver who runs gorails.com um which is one of the best I, i've been a customer of, of his for ever since i've been learning rails it's a it's a fantastic like training membership community with his video tutorials and stuff but he also has dev tools that he sells to to rails developers right how do they know about those tools well they're linked and he talks about them in his in his tutorial videos right because he has this huge audience I think like audience driven stuff tends to work really well when you're selling to developers, right? I mean, Adam with, he's got a massive following and that that's helped Tailwind, um, you know, and, and Ben has been podcasting forever. So like, uh, not, not to take anything away from their products. I'm a huge fan of, of both of them. Um, uh, I use those products every day. Well, it's the combination that works. Like, you know, they have the audience and obviously there are very smart people doing very yeah. good work. So I, I mean, I, and you already have that going for you too. So like, I would probably, probably lean in, into that, you know, um, don't really need to kind of reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Cool. All right. We are a little over an hour, so that seems like a good time to wrap up. <laughs> cool. Where can people find you? Do you have a name for your new podcast? Do you want to talk about that yet? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's called open threads. Um, I don't know exactly when it's going to launch. Uh, I hope sometime in April. Uh, I have recorded a bunch of episodes, but they're just not out yet. Yeah, but yeah, that that'll be called Open Threads. It'll be somewhat similar to this, you know, conversations. Uh, and um, and then Bootstrapped Web is the one I I host with Jordan on the weeks when he and I are are not traveling and, and doing other stuff. I'm Cast Jam on Twitter. That's that's where I spend most of my time. And of course, uh, ZipMessage.com is is my product. All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris.